Hi, this is Steve Andres. I'm the pastor of New City Church, and this is our podcast. Every week at New City, we invite people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and learn how to make a difference. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope that this message inspires and challenges you to love God and serve your city more. If you want more info on New City Church or other resources, go to newcity.life today. But for now, enjoy this message. Welcome, New City Church. This is Church Online from my family room to your family room or wherever wherever you are watching right now. Um, I want to say God bless you, and we're really delighted that you're taking time to worship with us. How great was the worship time today? Man, uh, I will tell you that we are trying our best to be as innovative as possible, which means basically every week we punt, and we have to adjust and do something different and be creative, as creative as we can be. Uh, And so a big shout out to everybody who is participating and helping make this happen uh, because, man, I would say that it's fun, uh, but it might not quite be fun. I think it's probably just more exciting, um, but we do hope that it's a blessing to you. This is a time, I think, where all of us are challenged by some big fears and maybe some small frustrations. We have big fears of health and economics and um, you know, am I going to stay healthy? Is there somebody I love that's going to, is my, am I going to keep my job? Is, are are the, the bills going to keep being paid? Those are the big worries and fears that we have. But we also have these small frustrations from disruption to our lives from everything that's going on. Jesse and I, at the beginning of all of this uh, shelter-in-place order, we had bought some meat. We were freezing it to make sure that we had, you know, some stuff and didn't have to go out too much. And uh, it's been this ongoing feud between us where uh, she will, she will, you know, be, she's a great cook, but she'll be wanting to cook and, and uh, she'll bring the meat out like to thaw like three hours before dinner. And I'll say, uh, we need to have to come up with a plan B here because this isn't going to be ready in time. It's just say, oh, it's going to thaw. Don't worry. It's going to thaw eventually. And I'm like, I know it's going to thaw eventually, but it's not going to thaw in time for what we want to do. Does it thaw in time? No. So then we're, you know, putting it in water and putting it in the microwave, doing all that kind of stuff. It's happened three or four times. It has gotten to be this, this kind of like feud between us that I feel like is not really about the frozen meat. It's much more about the fact that, man, we are, feel like our whole lives have been turned upside down in some ways. We all kind of probably have had that experience where there are these small frustrations that uh, we get really kind of mad about because of the underlying anxiety of all the stuff that's gone out of control in our lives. I, I can say that dads like me have realized what an incredibly taxing job it is to take care of little ones. Uh, I think some stay-at-home parents, so I'm just mad, some stay-at-home parents aren't even aware that there is a quarantine uh, because this has basically been their day every day taking care of kids, which is incredible to me. But if you haven't spent all day around kids, it is a shock to your system. And uh, I found this, somebody sent this to me. I thought, it was, I thought it was pretty, almost too close to accurate right here. Because of coronavirus, you are going to be quarantined, but you have a choice. Do you, A, quarantine with your wife and child, or B? B. <laughs> B. The struggle is real for everybody who is at home, whether you're sheltering in place by yourself or whether you are uh, watching little kids or whatever, you have family together in, in a place. Man, it's okay to laugh about it because this is where we are at. Um, I've continued to talk through this whole series, The Jesus Way, because I believe that our life in Christ doesn't just work 
when things are secure and content. Our relationship with Jesus doesn't just apply to seasons where we feel secure and content. When we read the Bible, it's easy to forget sometimes that the people that we read about didn't know how the story would end. The ups and the downs, the confusion and the uncertainty, the fears and all of the risk, it's all very much like what we are feeling today. So it's okay for us to laugh about it and it's okay to be honest about it. What a challenge to continue on in the midst of this anxiety and stress that we're experiencing in this moment to try and find a new normal without living in denial of really the scary moment that we're in. The Jesus way, I think, relationship with Jesus equips us to face the fears and the challenges of a profoundly broken world, but at the same time live with a daily peace and joy. So I'm going to invite you uh, to go to our text today. It's in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says that as they approached Jerusalem to Bethphage and Bethany, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied up on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away, and they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And as those who were standing there, and those who were standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And so they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And, and many spread their cloaks out on the road and others spread palm branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray together and let's ask for God's blessing on his word today. Father, I pray that you would bless your word to our hearts. I ask God that uh, just as we have listened now, Lord, that you would help us to obey it, that we wouldn't just be hearers, but we would be doers also of your word. So add your blessing to the reading and the hearing of your word today, that when we are finished with this time, we would be encouraged and blessed to continue on in a long obedience to you in the same direction. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, the story that uh, Mark, the gospel writer, is telling us is talking about Jesus as he nears the city with his disciples. He instructs them to go to a nearby village to find a colt or a young donkey and ask the owner to borrow it. So they go to this village and it's exactly as Jesus said it would be. So when they come back, Mark tells us that they throw their coats on the donkey and Jesus rides it into, into Jerusalem. Now, I say donkey or colt because we don't know which exactly it was referring to, but it was young and had never been ridden before. The crowds, though, of the city as Jesus is entering in Jerusalem are really feeling it. During Passover, Jerusalem's population, historians tell us, would swell to over three million people from all over the world at that time. And so there is a buzz already in the city about Jesus, and now it's turning into a frenzy as people tear down branches and they wave them to celebrate, spreading them out in front of Jesus like a king riding into his city. They're hoping, really, that this is going to be the Passover when God would deliver them from Rome, just as he had delivered them from Egypt on that very first Passover. Now, I want you to see this, how incredible this is, because the God who owns everything, the God who 
owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the God who strides the heavens and has named every star, the God who holds the universe, the Bible says in the span of his hand, this same God now has to Uber on a young donkey to get into the city. I mean, what can we say about this? But every single story of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all include the story of Jesus riding this colt. So here's the first of three points for today for you. Number one, God turns small acts of sacrifice into great significance. We've all lent something to someone and then not gotten it back. I don't know if that's happened to you. You, you might be the, the guilty party who didn't return it, or you might be the lender who never got it back. But it's been said that lending money to people is the number one cause of memory loss. So when the disciples show up to this place and they say, the Lord has need of it, the Bible says that the owner gives it to them. It's a small thing, but it becomes significant beyond this owner's imagination. I want you to see that. God can take and translate our very small acts of sacrifice and obedience. Just just lending this cult to, to Jesus becomes something that is significant enough to be included in all four gospel accounts. Now, young people are always, I think, by nature, waiting and looking for their moment of great significance. They're looking ahead of time. When, when am I going to make my mark on the world? And grown people, sometimes we sink into the cynical belief that there is no moment of greatness coming, right? But the Bible takes this really radical middle path, and it says that our moments of greatest significance will often arrive disguised in everyday clothes. Our greatest moments come suddenly upon us simply as we are obeying God in small ways. You know the story of a young man named David. He's shepherding his father's sheep when one day his father comes to him and says, David, I want you to bring this grain and this cheese to your brothers who are with Israel's army in this valley called Elah. David could have said at this point, Dad, don't you remember that the prophet Samuel anointed me king? Do you know who I am now? This is not the kind of thing that I do. (laughs) But what does David do instead? The Bible says that David agrees and he delivers the cheese. And because he delivers the cheese, he finds himself face to face with a giant named Goliath in the Valley of Elah. And he defeats him and he becomes a champion for Israel. It was a small act of obedience that brought him to his moment of greatness. Without the cheese, there would have been no Goliath, no champion of Israel. What if God's way of getting to your moment, what if God's design to get you to your moment of significance is to have you walk down the road of obedience and faithfulness and simply do small things that you can do right now? We've been saying this Every morning in our devotional time at 7.30, just because we don't have control doesn't mean we don't have a choice. This is a season where, we, where we, I think we all feel a profound sense of loss of control. We, we, we feel like, we all know it, we don't have control at this moment. The things that had been secure before and, and, and important to us, many of those things have now become insecure or they're on hold. But in the midst of all of this lack of control, we still have a choice. We can love people. We can reach out to people. We can pray. We can be generous. We can be kind. These might seem like small things, but God is able to turn those small things into something great and significant in his plan. 
Justin and Liz Hansen are missionaries that we support to Madrid, Spain. And I still remember this story that Justin told about how when he was a, a, a younger man, his dad was also a missionary who had a wide-reaching uh, ministry. He was a sought-after teacher and leader. And when Justin was in his early 20s, his dad had a brain aneurysm that almost completely debilitated him. It left him with hardly any speech ability and very few motor skills. And Justin talked about how difficult it was for him to see his dad that he had almost idolized in such a humble position and such a... Such a a pitiful state. And when his dad regained some of his motor functions, his dad insisted on going to serve at this local publisher uh, where he would collate and sort books and put them into boxes and you know, move stuff around. And the job was actually very difficult for his dad. And then on top of it, Justin found out that the manager was very unkind to his dad, would talk down to him, would condescend. And, and so he pled with his dad, he just pled with his dad to quit the job, but his dad refused to quit. He would over and over again say, Dad, you've got to quit. You're better than this. You're better than this. And finally, his dad like, was, was stern with Justin. He said, I have served the Lord all my life, Justin. And just because I can't do it the same way doesn't mean that I'm going to stop doing it now. Years later, actually uh, just, a, just about a year and a half later, when Justin and Liz got their first assignment serving overseas, they had an opportunity to minister in an area to children and they needed some resources to do it. And so Liz ordered these materials and when they were shipped to them and they arrived, Justin opened the box and looked down and realized that these were the very same books that his dad had been packing. Justin's dad was willing to do the little that he could and God used it probably to do the thing that he most would have wanted to do to help his own son share the gospel overseas. I want to tell you that the Lord has need of you. God wants to partner with you even now to do his work. Why do we give? Because it's our privilege to give. Because God uses it, the little that we can give, to turn it into something of great significance. Why then do we continue to pray? Because it's our privilege to be used by God to do his work. Why do we tell people about Jesus? Why doesn't God just post angels on the street corners and announce and invite people to know Jesus? Because that's our job to do it. And it pleases God to use a donkey like me to accomplish his purposes. He takes our small acts of sacrifice and obedience and he translates them to something eternally significant. I could say it like this, your right now obedience can make a forever difference. Secondly, God only asks for what we can give. The disciples didn't go into town looking for a stallion. They didn't go around asking for a Budweiser Clydesdale. They didn't have one there. And God will never ask for what you don't have. He is perfectly able to use whatever you have. The Bible says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So whatever we are working with is what God is willing to work with. It's what God has given us. Think of the story of Moses standing before the Lord and at, right after being told that he's going to be the one who delivers Israel out of slavery. And Moses is saying to God, I am not your guy. I do not have what it takes. I'm not eloquent. Nobody knows me. I don't have what it takes. And God says, well, what is in your hand? And Moses says, I just have this simple shepherd's staff. And God says, throw that down. And that becomes the vehicle. That becomes the instrument that God uses to perform miraculous sign after miraculous sign. Whatever you have is what God wants to use. 
So stop worrying about what you don't have. And that's key for this season because so much has been lost. So, so many of us could say, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. Let's stop worrying about what we don't have and what we can't do. And let's focus on what God has given us to do and to have. For Moses, it was his staff. For David, it was a sling. For the widow of Zarephath, it was the last bit of flour and oil. For the little boy on the, on the mountainside in the wilderness, it was a lunch. Not enough to feed five people, let alone 5,000. But with God, it is always enough. God is content to work with whatever you have. He is not worried about what you don't have. And the way he sees it, whatever you have is already his to use. You see, Jesus tells his disciples, when you are questioned, he says, here's the response that you're going to give. It has a double meaning, actually, in the original language. It's proper to translate the instruction as this, like what they said, the Lord has need of it, what our text said. But it's also proper, it's totally fine to translate the phrase as, the Lord of it has need. Isn't that interesting? It could be the Lord has need of it, or the Lord of it has need. Jesus tells his disciples, when they ask you, remind them that I'm the Lord of that donkey. Remind them that I am the Lord of that colt and I have a need for it. The Bible's perspective is that all that we have, our time, our talents, our resources, they all come from God and are meant to be put in his service. He is the Lord of all of it. So what, I ask you, has he placed in your hand today? What do you have that can be employed for his purposes? Because I think that the Lord has need of it. And I think that the Lord of it has need. Next weekend is Easter. And I think that there is an openness like never before to the gospel message. Everything in people's lives is being shaken. And they need to be reminded that even though heaven and earth might pass away, the word of the Lord remains forever. So remember, God can use you where you are with whatever you have. He will only ask for what you have. Number three. God's glory and greatness are hidden in humility. Jerusalem at this time is on high alert. Passover season is when revolutionary fervor is in the air. And so Roman soldiers would have been witnessing this grand procession into the city. Uh, the, 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 the rabbi on the donkey or the colt. And it's likely that they would have thought that this was like comically unsophisticated, cute and provincial. Like, oh, how cute. The seasoned Roman soldier would have witnessed a real triumphal procession. A Roman general complete with chariots and finery surrounded by soldiers and cavalry armed to the hilt would have marched back into the city of Rome to the shouts of wealthy rulers and urban elite with all of his prisoners in tow. You see, historians tell us that the Roman triumphal procession was an intimidating demonstration of Rome's military power and pride. And then in contrast to that, here is this Galilean on a donkey, too poor to afford a saddle. And there's people with palm branches waving, the poor people with palm branches waving and shouting, Hosanna, God saves. And, and we would ask ourselves, is this really the glory of God? Compared to the, the, the intimidation and the grandeur of, of the Roman triumphal procession, we have the donkey riding rabbi who is walking into town, and we would say, is this really God's glory on display? But if we have been paying any attention to Jesus, we would say, yes, it is. 
Because with Jesus, the very things that by human standards would be, would be considered contemptuous have now been cast in a totally different light of God's glory. The things that seemed to be weak have been shown to be strong. Forgiveness has been shown to be better than vengeance. Giving has been shown to be better than getting. Humility, better than high status. This is the way the Apostle Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians. He said, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no one might boast before him. Paul goes on to say that since all of our wisdom and ambition couldn't get us to God, God chose foolishness and weakness to save those of us who are willing to embrace him. The foolishness and the weakness of Jesus Christ crucified. That is what we are saying is the glory of God. This is the upside down way of Jesus. The Bible says that it was Jesus who set aside his own power, his own glory to become one of us, to become a servant to us. It says that he was sinless, but he died a criminal's death for you and for me. It says that he paid a debt that he didn't owe. And he took the punishment that he didn't deserve, but we deserved so that we could be cleared of our guilt. Let me tell you, that is what we are talking about with the Jesus way. Religion is an outside-in change. If today what you're looking for is religion, then that's not what we're talking about. Self-help is an outside-in effort. But when we are humbled by seeing the grace and the mercy, the glory of God on display in the crucified Jesus, something happens inside of us because we see that we are sinners and that we are spiritually dead on the inside. And let me tell you, you can't reform the dead. You have to raise the dead. You can reform the criminal. You can reform the the, the penitent. But you cannot reform the dead. You have to raise the dead. And only God can do that. Jesus said it like this. If you want to see God's kingdom, you must be born again. You have to start completely from scratch. That's not a new city thing. That's not a Catholic thing. That's not a Lutheran thing. This is a Jesus thing. He said you must be born again. And I've had, I've had more than a few conversations in these past few weeks where I have talked to people who literally have, have said, are you sure? How do you know? How can you be sure that I can start new? Let me assure you today that the Bible is so clear. Jesus told a very self-assured man of means how to get into God's kingdom. He said, you're going to have to start from the beginning. You must be born again. And if you are born again, let me tell you, the Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. That's why it's hard for the self-assured to find their way into heaven. Jesus talked about it. Because when I receive the grace of God, It cuts my success completely out of the equation. It means that I can't depend on my own status anymore. I can only depend on Jesus. I can't even depend on my church involvement. I want you to know today, I want you to know today, Jesus didn't die to get you to church. He died to get you to heaven. It doesn't matter that we can't get to church today. He can get to you. The only way to do this by his words is to be born again. So have you been born again today? You can know for certain today 
You can know for certain today that you have. And it's, we say it almost every week. It's as simple as ABC. To admit that I am a sinner. To believe that Jesus took the punishment that I deserved and was raised to new life again. And then to confess with my mouth, the Bible says, if I will do those things, I will be saved. It's not Jesus plus my good works. It's not Jesus plus my good grades. It's not Jesus plus my good reputation. It is Jesus alone. And if I'm willing to trust his grace and his forgiveness, the Bible says every one of us can be made new. So if that's you today, I'm going to invite you to repeat a simple prayer after me. And maybe everybody in your home, wherever you are, I want you to actually pray this out loud. This might seem like a funny thing if you're by yourself, maybe even funnier if you're with a family, but repeat after me this prayer because I am trusting that there are people who are watching this right now who can be made new at this moment as you admit, believe, and confess with your mouth these things that we've talked about. Pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You tasted hell for me so I wouldn't have to. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my Helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen.